Hey everybody, welcome to the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. Uh, this is part two of Robert Block's The Fane of the Black Pharaoh. And uh, we're going to wrap this one up. And uh, after this, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. Not a clue. So if you have any stories that you would like to hear, feel free to email me, theweirdtalespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'd like to hear any ideas or suggestions that you, for stories you'd like to hear. Uh, and... Um, Feel free to leave me a rating or a review on iTunes uh, or your nearest podcast supplier. That would be great. All right, uh, let's get on with the show. The Fane of the Black Pharaoh by Robert Block. Four. The temple was entered. The subterranean temple tomb of Nephren Ka. Through silver gates the priest passed, his dazed companion following behind. Carteret stood in a vast chamber, the niched walls of which were lined with sarcophagi. They hold the mummies of the interred priests and servants, explained his guide. Strange were the mummy cases of Nephren Ka's followers, not like those known to Egyptology. The carven covers bore no recognized conventional features, as was the usual custom. Instead, they presented the strange, grinning countenances of demons and creatures of fable. Jeweled eyes stared mockingly from the black visages of gargoyles spawned in a sculptor's nightmare. From every side of the room those eyes shone through the shadows, unwinking, unchanging, omniscient in this little world of the dead. Carteret stirred uneasily. Emerald eyes of death, ruby eyes of malevolence, yellow orbs of mockery. Everywhere they confronted him. He was glad when his guide led him forward at last so that the incongruous rays of the flashlight shone on the entrance beyond. A moment later his relief was dissipated by the sight of a new horror confronting him at the inner doorway. Two gigantic figures shambled there, guarding either side of the opening. Two monstrous troglodytic figures. Great gorillas they were, enormous apes, carved in simian semblance from black stone. They faced the doorway, squatting on mighty haunches, their huge, hairy arms upraised in menace. Their glittering faces were brutally alive. They grinned, bare-fanged, with idiotic glee. And they were blind, eyeless and blind. There was a terrible allegory in these figures which Carteret knew only too well. The blind apes were destiny personified, a hulking, mindless destiny whose sightless, stupid gropings trampled on the dreams of men and altered their lives by aimless flailings of purposeless paws. Thus did they control reality. These were the blind apes of truth, according to the ancient legend, the symbols of the old gods worshipped by Nephren Ka. Carteret thought of the myths once more and trembled. If tales were true, Nephren Ka had offered up that final mighty sacrifice upon the obscene laps of these evil idols, offered them up to Nyarlathotep, and buried the dead in the mummy cases set here in the niches. Then he had gone on to his own sepulchre within. The guide proceeded stolidly past the looming figures. Carteret, dissembling his dismay, started to follow. For a moment his feet refused to cross that gruesomely guarded threshold into the room beyond. He stared upward to the eyeless, ogreish faces that leered down from dizzying heights with the feeling that he walked in realms of sheer nightmare. But the huge arms beckoned him on, the unseeing faces were convulsed in a smile of mocking invitation. The legends were true. The tomb existed. Would it not be better to turn back now, seek some aid, and return again to this spot? 
Besides, what unguessed terror might not lair in the realms beyond? What horrors spawn in the sable shadows of Nefrenka's inner secret sepulchre? All reason urged him to call out to the strange priest and retreat to safety. But the voice of reason was but a hushed and awe-stricken whisper here in the brooding burrows of the past. This was a realm of ancient shadow where antique evil ruled. Here the incredible was real, and there was a potent fascination in fear itself. Carteret knew that he must go on. Curiosity, cupidity, the lust for concealed knowledge all impelled him, and the blind apes grinned their challenge or command. The priest entered the third chamber, and Carteret followed. Crossing the threshold, he plunged into an abyss of unreality. The room was lighted by braziers set in a thousand stations. Their glow bathed the enormous burrow with fiery luminance. Captain Carteret, his head reeling from the heat and mephitic miasma of the place, was thus able to see the entire extent of this incredible cavern. Seemingly endless, a vast corridor stretched on a downward slant into the earth beyond. A vast corridor utterly barren save for the winking red braziers along the walls. Their flaming reflections cast grotesque shadows that glimmered with unnatural life. Carteret felt as though he were gazing on the entrance to Carnator, the mythical underworld of Egyptian lore. "'Here we are,' said his guide softly. The unexpected sound of a human voice was startling. For some reason it frightened Carteret more than he cared to admit. He had fallen into a vague acceptance of these scenes as being part of a fantastic dream. Now the concrete clarity of a spoken word only confirmed an eerie reality. Yes, here they were in the spot of legend, the place known to Alhazred, Prin, and all the dark delvers into unhallowed history. The tale of Nefren Ka was true, and if so, what about the rest of this strange priest's statements? What about the walls of truth on which the black pharaoh had recorded the future, had foretold Carteret's own advent on the secret spot? As if in answer to these inner whispers, the guide smiled. Come, Captain Carteret. Do you not wish to examine the walls more closely? The captain did not wish to examine the walls. Desperately he did not. For they, if in existence, would confirm the ghastly horror that gave them being. If they existed, it meant that the whole evil legend was real. That Nefren Ka, black pharaoh of Egypt, had indeed sacrificed to the dread dark gods and that they had answered his prayer. Captain Carteret did not greatly wish to believe in such utter blasphemous abominations as Nyarlat Hotep. He sparred for time. Where is the tomb of Nefren Kal himself? he asked. Where are the treasures and the ancient books? The guide extended a lean forefinger. At the end of the hall, he exclaimed. Peering down the infinity of lighted walls, Carteret indeed fancied that his eyes could detect a dark blur of objects in the dim distance. Let us go there he said. The guide shrugged. He turned and his feet moved over the velvet dust. Carteret followed as if drugged. The walls, he thought. I must not look at the walls, the walls of truth. The black pharaoh sold his soul to Nyarlat Hotep and received the gift of prophecy. Before he died here, he wrote the future of Egypt on the walls. I must not look, lest I believe. I must not know. Red lights glittered on either side, step after step, light after light, Glare, gloom, glare, gloom, glare. The lights beckoned, enticed, attracted. Look at us, they commanded. See, dare to see all. 
Carteret followed his silent conductor. Look! flashed the lights. Carteret's eyes grew glassy. His head throbbed. The gleaming of the lights was mesmeric. They hypnotized with their allure. Look! Would this great hall never end? No, there were thousands of feet to go. Look! challenged the leaping lights. Red serpent eyes in the underground dark. Eyes of tempters, bringers of black knowledge. Look! Wisdom! No! winked the lights. They flamed in Carteret's brain. Why not look? It was so easy. Why fear? Why? His dazed mind repeated the question. Each following flare of fire weakened the question. At last, Carteret looked. Five. Mad minutes passed before he was able to speak. Then he mumbled in a voice audible only to himself. True, he whispered. All true. He stared at the towering wall to his left, limbed in red radiance. It was an interminable bayou tapestry carved in stone. The drawing was crude, in black and white, but it frightened. This was no ordinary Egyptian picture writing. It was not in the fantastic symbolical style of ordinary hieroglyphics. That was the terrible part. Nefren Ka was a realist. His men looked like men. His buildings were buildings. There was nothing here but a representation of stark reality, and it was dreadful to see. For at the point where Carteret first summoned sufficient courage to gaze, he stared at an unmistakable tableau involving crusaders and Saracens. Crusaders of the 13th century, yet Nefren Ka had then been dust for nearly 2,000 years. The pictures were small, yet vivid and distinct. They seemed to flow along quite effortlessly on the wall, one scene bleeding into another as though they had been drawn in unbroken continuity. It was as though the artist had not stopped once during his work, as though he had untiringly proceeded to cover this gigantic hall in a single supernatural effort. That was it, a single supernatural effort. Carteret could not doubt. Rationalize all he would, it was impossible to believe that these drawings were trumped up by any group of artists. It was one man's work, and the unerring, horrid consistency of it, the calculated picturization of the most vital and important phases of Egyptian history could have been set down in such accurate order only by a historical authority or a prophet. Nefren Ka had been given the gift of prophecy, and so, as he ruminated in growing dread, Carteret and his guide proceeded. Now that he had looked, a Medusian fascination held the man's eyes to the wall. He walked with history tonight. History and red nightmare. Flaming figures leered from every side. He saw the rise of the Mameluk Empire, looked on the despots and the tyrants of the East. Not all of what he saw was familiar to Carteret, for history has its forgotten pages. Besides, the scenes changed and varied at almost every step, and it was quite confusing. There was one picture interspersed with an Alexandrian court motif which depicted a catacomb evidently in some vaults beneath the city. Here were gathered a number of men in robes which bore a curious similarity to those of Carteret's present guide. They were conversing with a tall, white-bearded man whose crudely drawn figure seemed to exude an uncanny aura of black and baleful power. "'Ludwig Prynne,' said the guide softly, noting Carteret's stare. "'He mingled with our priests, you know.' 
For some reason, the depiction of this almost legendary seer stirred Carteret more deeply than any other hitherto revealed terror. The casual inclusion of the infamous sorcerer in the procession of actual history hinted at dire things. It was as though Carteret had read a prosaic biography of Satan in Who's Who. Nevertheless, with a sort of heart-sick craving, his eyes continued to search the walls as they walked onward to the still indeterminate end of the long, red-illumined chamber in which Nefren Ka was interred. The guide, priest now, for Carteret no longer doubted, proceeded softly, but stole covert glances at the white man as he led the way. Captain Carteret walked through a dream. Only the walls were real now, the walls of truth. He saw the Ottomans rise and flourish, looked on forgotten battles and unremembered kings. Often there recurred in the sequence a scene depicting the priests of Nefren Ka's own furtive cult. They were shown amidst the disquieting surroundings of catacombs and tombs, engaged in unsavory occupations and revolting pleasures. The camera film of time rolled on. Captain Carteret and his companion walked on. Still, the walls told their story. There was one small division of the wall which portrayed the priests conducting a man in Elizabethan costume through what seemed to be a pyramid. It was eerie to see the gallant in his finery pictured amidst the ruins of ancient Egypt, and it was very dreadful indeed to almost watch, like an unseen observer, when a stealthy priest knifed to the Englishman in the back as he bent over a mummy case. What now impressed Carteret was the infinitude of detail in each pictured fragment. The features of all the men were almost photographically exact. The drawing, while crude, was lifelike and realistic. Even the furniture and background of every scene were correct. There was no doubting the authenticity of it all, and no doubting of the veracity thereby implied, but what was worse, there was no doubting that this work could not have been done by any normal artist, however learned, unless he had seen it all. Nefren Ka had seen it all in prophetic vision after his sacrifice to Nyarlathotep. Carteret was looking at truths inspired by a demon. On and on to the flaming fane of worship and death at the end of the hall. History progressed as he walked. Now he was looking at a period of Egyptian lore that was almost contemporary. The figure of Napoleon appeared. The Battle of Abukir, the Massacre of the Pyramids, the downfall of the Mameluke horsemen, the entrance to Cairo. Once again, a catacomb with priests, and three figures, white men in French military regalia of the period. The priests were leading them into a red room. The Frenchmen were surprised, overcome, slaughtered. It was vaguely familiar. Carteret was recalling what he knew of Napoleon's commission. He had appointed savants and scientists to investigate the tombs and pyramids of the land. The Rosetta Stone had been discovered, and other things. Quite likely... The three men shown had blundered onto a mystery the priests of Nefren Ka had not wanted to have unveiled. Hence they had been lured to death as the walls showed. It was quite familiar, but there was another familiarity which Carteret could not place. They moved on, and the years rushed by in panorama. The Turks, the English, Gordon, the plundering of the pyramids, the World War, and every so often a picture of the priests of Nefren Ka and a strange white man in some catacomb or vault. Always the white man died. It was all familiar. Carteret looked up and saw that he and the priest were very near to the blackness at the end of the great fiery hall. Only a hundred steps or so, in fact. The priest, face hidden in his burnous, was beckoning him on. Carteret looked at the wall. 
the pictures were almost ended. But no, just ahead was a great curtain of crimson velvet on a ceiling rack, which ran off into the blackness and reappeared from shadows on the opposite side of the room to cover that wall. The future, explained his guide, and Captain Carteret remembered that the priest had told how each day he drew back the curtain a bit, so that the future was always revealed just one day ahead. He remembered something else, and hastily glanced at the last visible section of the wall of truth next to the curtain. He gasped. It was true. Almost as though gazing into a miniature mirror, he found himself staring into his own face. Line for line, feature for feature, posture for posture, he and the priest of Nefren Ka were shown standing together in this red chamber just as they were now. The red chamber. Familiarity. The Elizabethan man with the priests of Nefren Ka were in a catacomb when the man was murdered. The French scientists were in a red chamber when they died. Other, later Egyptologists had been shown in a red chamber with the priests, and they too had been slain. The red chamber. Not familiarity, but similarity. They had been in this chamber. And now he stood here with a priest of Nefren Ka. The others had died because they had known... The others had died because they had known too much. Too much about what? Nefren Ka? A terrible suspicion began to formulate into hideous reality. The priests of Nefren Ka protected their own. This tomb of their dead leaders was also their fane, their temple. When intruders stumbled onto the secret, they lured them down here and killed them lest others learn too much. Had not he come in the same way? The priest stood silent as he gazed at the wall of truth. Midnight, he said softly. I must draw back the curtain to reveal yet another day before we go on. You expressed a wish, Captain Carteret, to see what the future holds in store for you. Now that wish shall be granted. With a sweeping gesture, he flung the curtain back along the wall for a foot. Then he moved swiftly. One hand leapt from the burnous. A gleaming knife flashed through the air, drawing red fire from the lamps then sank into Carteret's back, drawing redder blood. With a single groan, the white man fell. In his eyes there was a look of supreme horror, not born of death alone. For as he fell, Captain Carteret read his future in the walls of truth, and it confirmed a madness that could not be. As Captain Carteret died, he looked at the picture of his next hours of existence and saw himself being knifed by the priest of Nefren Ka. The priest vanished from the silent tomb, just as the last flicker of dying eyes showed to Carteret that picture of a still white body, his body, lying in death before the wall of truth. Hey everybody, thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed The Fane of the Black Pharaoh by Robert Block. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to have uh, The House on the Borderland. It's going to continue through the rest of the week. Next Monday, we will have... Uh, the final October story, followed by the last, like, three episodes, I think, of last maybe two episodes of The House on the Borderland, and then the October project will be done. And we will be going into November, and everything will go back to just weekly episodes like normal. So, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank everybody, everybody, everybody who listens. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, this month has been just a, a, an encouragement, and, and it has given rise to my spirits in a way that I didn't think, um, was possible. And, uh, I, I actually have like actual real definitive proof now that 
that uh, the show is growing and is becoming you know, more popular that more people are listening. And I'm really appreciative to everyone who has started listening the past six months. I'm really super appreciative to everybody who's been listening since, you know, two years ago. And if you're one of those people who has been listening all the way back since the very first episode, I don't know if any of you are still out there. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening. I am really very grateful. Um, I'm not super great talking about my feelings and my emotions, but, uh, I'm really very grateful for everybody who listens. You're all just super great. And um, I just, I need to stop before this starts to sound disingenuous. All right. So thank you for listening. And da, 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 da. Here's the bloops. The Fane of the Black Pharaoh by Robert Block. Chapter four. Nope, not chapter, just four. If tales were true, Nefren Ka had offered up that fine mital. Finey Mitel. That's not right. If tales were true, Nefren Ka had offered up that final mighty sacrifice upon the obscene laps of these evil idols. Then he had gone on to his own sepulcher. Sepulcher. Then he had gone on to his own sepulcher within. Robert Block has misspelled sepulcher, so I think it's going to say sepulchral, as in an adjective describing, you know, the state or quality of a sepulcher. And it throws me off. Was thus able to see the... Ex- Carteret felt as though he were gazing on the entrance to Carnator, the mythical underworld of Egyptian lore. I'm going to look up how that's pronounced, because I don't think it's Carnator. Turns out it doesn't really matter how it's pronounced, because as far as I can tell, it's only used by Robert Block. <laughs>